You know, the nice thing about buying food for a man is that you don't have to laugh at his jokes. Just think, if you were some big shot like a casting director or something, I'd be staring into your bridgework saying, yes, Mr. Smearcase, no, Mr. Smearcase, not really, Mr. Smearcase. Oh, Mr. Smearcase, that's my knee. Give Mr. Smearcase another cup of coffee, make it two. Want a piece of pie? No, thanks, kid. Why, Mr. Smearcase, aren't you getting a little familiar? Ticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. to Ticklish Business. I'm Kristen, joined as always by Samantha. This week we're honoring Veronica Lake on her centennial, her birthday, and we're joined by nobody because it's just us, which I was not planning. (laughs) It's been a while, but I'm excited for it because honestly, I don't want to toot our own horns here, but I feel like in the sphere of Veronica Lake, I feel like you and I know quite a bit between the two of us, I like to say. We so are our own experts. Yes, we are yes. our own experts. <laughs> but before we talk about Veronica Lake, we'd like to briefly remind everyone that if you haven't checked out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz, you should. We do additional bonus pods, including doubled features, looking at remakes and based on a true podcast, looking at biopics and true crime. We did our episode recently on Village of the Damned for Halloween. We also give out regular care packages of movies and gifts and let you guest on an episode. It's at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. And don't forget to pre-order my upcoming book, but have you read the book? 52 Literary Gems That Inspired Our Favorite Movies coming out on March 7th. You can pre-order that wherever you get books. But enough of that. It's time to talk about Veronica Lake. You can go onto our Patreon and listen to the interview that I did with Gloria Mann. I think on Veronica's birthday a year or two ago, which has really great insights from her about growing up with Veronica Lake. It's very rare to find somebody that actually spent time and knew her. I urge everybody to go over and check that out. We talked about my origin story when it comes to Veronica Lake, but I'm more interested, Samantha, in your origin story with Veronica Lake. Because one of the things I always hear when I start talking about her, especially from people that knew her, is, oh, you're so young. How the hell do you know who this woman is? Well, in response to that, Samantha, you are younger than me. So how the hell do you know who she is? She's one of those people that comes up so regularly in the old Hollywood fandom. Not necessarily for her films as much as for her as an icon, I feel like. Just for her image and her glamour more than anything else. It's hard to pinpoint what the first Veronica Lake movie I ever saw was. The first one... That really stood out in my mind as like, wow, I really like her. She's so cute. I want to watch more of her was definitely This Gun for Hire. I love the little scene where she's the magician. She has the little musical number in it, but she's so good opposite Alan Ladd. Everybody talks about their pairing for a reason. I love her scenes with Laird Cregar. I mean, we talk about him a lot on the show and how amazing he is. So that was really the gateway drug film. But from there, I just watched everything I could get my hands on. I know, Kristen, you and I just talked about before we started recording the availability of a lot of these Veronica Lake films. And I will say at this point, I've only seen like seven or eight. I want to say that's a lot because I think I've hit all the big ones like Blue Dahlia, This Gun for Hire, Sullivan's Travels, Glass Key. 
but I want to see more and it's so difficult. It's so hard. It really is. It really is. I can tell you the first Veronica Lake movie that I probably watched was the one-two punch of I Married a Witch and Sullivan's Travel. So I didn't see the noir stuff that she's more commonly known for until after I'd seen Sullivan's Travels and just been gobsmacked by how utterly beautiful she was. And more importantly, she had comedic timing. It's funny, I was looking at a TCM message board that somebody was talking about Veronica Lake and they were talking about how just dead-eyed and hollow an actress she was. And I have to ask what they were watching because I don't feel that she is hollow or dead-eyed at all. If you watch something like I Married a Witch, which was the inspiration for Bewitched, she has such comedic timing in the way she delivers a line, the way that she plays with Friedrich March, even though they hated each other and she did screw with him more viciously while they were filming. But I believe every time I watch it that she's interested in him and she is very sweet and very sly. She's stuffing waffles in her mouth. And I think that's very charming. And I wish she got to do more comedy. She wished she got to do more comedy. So I always feel like people that start with her noir maybe get this conception of her that, like when we talked about Lisbeth Scott in an episode that is coming up next time, about this hardness. Maybe if you're only watching her noirs, yeah, you'll see something like that. But that's not who she was. You're totally right. The availability of her work is a real problem. I know that Criterion Collection, thankfully so, is doing a lot for her centennial, giving her a whole fleet of films as part of their November November slate. But it's the same maybe five or six movies that most people have seen, including I Married a Witch, which is great. But there are so many movies that she made after that that are incredibly hard to find, if not released at all. I know that here in Los Angeles, they've shown the movie she made with Eddie Bracken, Hold That Blonde, a couple of times, which is great. But there's movies like Miss Susie Slagles and Footsteps in the Snow that we'll never get to see. A couple years ago, there was a person advertising on Facebook that they had a 35 millimeter reel of Footsteps in the Snow that was in Spanish or French. Wow. They were trying to sell it to somebody that could restore it. The problem was is it, it was dubbed or hardwired into the foreign language. So it was not in English and you couldn't convert it back into English. I don't know what ever happened to that. I talked to the person that owned it. And he was very nice. Unfortunately, I couldn't afford to buy it from him. But that's what we're dealing with here is hobbyists have some of these movies because all of her Paramount work is now owned by Universal. And Universal is not a studio that famously cares about their classic film slate, let alone an actress of the 1940s whose name maybe is a great trivia question, but doesn't have the name recognition or the money associated with her compared to someone like Joan Crawford or Betty Davis or Liz Taylor, which is very unfortunate. I remember watching Ramrod, speaking of Joel McRae, who we just did an episode on last time, which was on a very small press. I forget who released it. Not a great copy, but it was on DVD, which was really an accomplishment. Even if we could get some of these movies on DVD, I know up until a certain point, I wanted wings. I had on a very crappy bootleg copy that I bought from a website that was known for selling taped movies. That's a very sad fact about a lot of classic film actors, not just Veronica, but Veronica suffers from it the most. 
And it's hard to fathom because she defined the 1940s, the entire decade. I will say, in the defense of these studios that have Veronica Lake films, they did just come out with a really nice Blu-ray restoration of So Proudly We Hail, the movie that she made with Claudette Colbert. That's really great. And that's a step in the right direction. But I definitely agree with you. I don't want to sound extremist here, but I feel like she's almost suffering a similar fate to Theta Bera, just a 1940s to modern day version where we know that there are so many other films that she made, we just don't have access to them. And it's so unfortunate. But hopefully they see the value in these films and restore them and they keep doing that. Because she made so many great ones. And every new one that I discover, I see new sides to her acting ability, which I really didn't expect to see. I just saw for the first time today, I Wanted Wings, which really started her career. It was her first major role. It was so dynamic and so much more complex than I expected it to be. And I wish I could see more roles like that of hers. It's really reliant on some of these distributors like Aquino, who did So Proudly We Hail, or an indicator series, which does a lot of really great box sets to open the vaults, because Universal is not going to be the one to do it. They don't care, which is unfortunate. It does require a lot of these independent presses that have money to get to do that. And Kino is in a really advantageous position, because if they can do it with one, something like So Proudly We Hail then that means that the door is maybe open for them to do more. The fact that the new Bev is screening more than once Hold That Blonde makes you wonder, well, there's a print available. What's it going to take to translate from publicly screening that at a repertory cinema to getting it into the hands of consumers that maybe want to watch it? I need to sit down and watch the movies that some of these you can find on uh, sites that end in YouTube. There's a couple that I don't want to watch. A lot of people ask me, have you seen Flesh Feast? Which is the last movie she made. It's a horror movie. That ironically, if you listen to our interview with Gloria Mann, Veronica did with her mom, Bianca, allegedly wrote her autobiography because she needed money to make this horror movie. And I haven't seen it. It was made relatively close to her death. She didn't look good. I've seen pictures. Those are the moments where I'm just like, okay, fine. We don't need everything released on DVD. I don't need this movie. Hold on. I have to stop you there, Kristen, because I have seen Flesh Feast. I actually Okay, okay. I'm ready to hear your thoughts because I have not seen it. I feel like it would upset me. When you take her out of the glamour girl noir queen that we think of her as and think of her more as the older supporting actress strong supporting actress that she became with that role it's a bad movie right we're not gonna sugarcoat that it's not a good movie it's a ridiculous plot it's so horrible but she does really well she does as well as she can given the circumstances i can't fault her for that and it's just so different a lot of these young blonde actresses died so tragically and so young And you wonder what kind of roles they would go on to do and if they would ever get that complex, juicy, supporting older role. And Veronica did in a way. I hate to say Flesh Feast, the B-movie, is that opportunity for her. But I liked it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I did or thought I would. I can 
say that it's out of the realm of her acting talent because in the 1970s, what were most actresses of the studio era doing? They were doing psychedelic horror films. Every one of them did it. Betty and Joan. Now, whatever happened to Baby Jane's a bit classier, but for every Baby Jane or all the horror movies Shelley Winters did, you have Jennifer Jones doing something like Angel, Angel, Down We Go, which is a horrible, horrible movie, but it's so hilarious to watch at the same time. So, of course, an actress who's aging wants to do what all of her colleagues are doing, which is making these B-movie horror films. So I get it. I get it. Maybe I'll get to it. Maybe it will make it a Patreon goal where one day I'll sit down and I'll actually watch it. In terms of going back to how she presented herself as an actress, you watch any of her movies. And when we talked about Lisbeth Scott, Alan Rohde was very overt about saying, hey, she's not a great actress. She's not going to be an icon alongside someone like Lauren Bacall. Veronica Lake definitely was an actress that was always imitated but never duplicated. You get jokes about her hair in some classic films of that era. But I can't think of an actress that was presented as a Veronica Lake type. Do you? No, not at all. I mean, there were definitely other noir blondes, but none really like her. There's something so interesting about Veronica's on-screen persona because she had such a strength within her, but she was so fragile. She was super skinny, 4'11". You could probably blow her over with a stiff breeze, but she's tough in her movies, and I love it. Not only tough physically, she'll shoot it out, she's being held hostage, what have you, but she's also very tough emotionally. She goes through a lot in a lot of her movies. And I hate to bring up I Wanted Wings again, but she goes through the ringer in that film and comes out of the other side. Kind of, spoiler alert. <laughs> no, you're totally right. That's why I identify with her almost. She's 4'11", very small woman. I know when I was talking to Don Bain, her late biographer, who became a good friend of mine, he described her as a small girl with a big bust. And it's a small girl. I could identify with that because... She was a scrapper. She could definitely try to throw a punch. She could be funny. She could crack a joke. She could be swoony and romantic. She could really do it all. And to read her autobiography, she definitely was an actress who had a real I don't give an F attitude about a lot of things, especially in her autobiography, because at that point she knew she wasn't going to be Hollywood A-list again and Whether you want to say that she wrote all that in anger is debatable, but what people who discover her and read her words really like about her is that if you want to do a hot take, her career ended because she didn't really want to please people. That's good and bad. On the one hand, hearing stories about how Friedrich March allegedly sexually harassed her and she decided to get one up on him by kicking him during takes or weighing down her jacket with rocks. That's really like, yeah, screw the man type stuff that now we know a lot of women had to put up with. And some really did get blackballed by the industry for refusing to play along. And I think that she is part of that at the same time as regards to her personal life, that I don't give an F attitude alienated her from her family and had her labeled by her children as not the best mother. 
that's another reason I relate to her. I love her as, as a person is because she was just messy. We look at some of those actors now, your Joan Crawfords, your Barbara Stanwyck's, Betty Hutton's, now who were really trying to analyze the personal side of them with the professional. And it's a question you and I ask each other all the time when we do this. How do you balance what you know about these people as people versus the films that they were making at the time? Right. Veronica Lake specifically, it's really difficult. It's so hard just to be like, yeah, she did that. That happened. I'm sorry. (laughs) She's just one of those, I can't not watch her films. I have to navigate this how I can. The thing with Veronica, too, is, of course, there are rumors and questions swirling about her mental illness, possibly, and whether she was alcoholic. And I feel like whether those are true or not, if they are true, they have a lot to do with all the stories that we're hearing. And if they're not true, that has a lot to do with society at the time pointing fingers if she's not conforming. Oh, it's because she's mentally ill or it's because she's an alcoholic. Either way, we don't have a great situation. And she obviously had to put up with a lot. In response to your questions, or at least the theories about her life, I've talked to numerous people that knew her either personally or tangentially. And for every one person that said she was mentally ill or she was an alcoholic, I got just as many people that said, no, she was not. It's one of those moments where I'm one of those people that I hate not knowing when people ask me about, well, what are you going to do with all this information? Are you going to write it in a book or something? And I say, I don't know if I can because I'm never going to get a definitive answer. And I hate not having a definitive answer. So look at some other actresses who struggle with alcoholism. Rita Hayworth is a great example. Definitely struggled with alcoholism. A lot of people wondered if that was as a means of coming to terms with Alzheimer's disease. We'll never know. To research Veronica, you're totally right. She was a woman who did not necessarily want to be an actress. Her mother was very much a stage mother. Veronica was pushed along into that. She lost her father at a very, very young age. If she was a drinker, there could definitely be reason for that. At the same time, look at what Wyatt McRae said about her when we did the episode. A lot of it was she tended to show up late. She didn't remember her lines, which to me doesn't necessarily speak of mental illness. It reminds me a lot of Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe, according to Tony Curtis and a lot of people that worked with her, infamously would come to set, wait, did not know her lines. And Marilyn Monroe is another actress that we commonly go back and forth on mental illness. A lot of the stuff about Veronica Lake is just not even original. It's just the price of being a woman in this industry. There were so many women that were strong enough to come and speak out about it, too. You've got Maureen O'Hara, Janice Page. They were all willing to come out and say, yeah, we dealt with a lot in the industries. The fact that she even wrote an autobiography talking about any of it at all says a lot about her. And I'm so glad that it was republished too with the foreword by our friend Eddie Muller. I have personally have not read the book yet, but I really want to. It's right up there at the top of my list. It's worth a read. It's not Esther Williams's autobiography, which you and I maintain is the perfect 
old Hollywood autobiography. It really is. There are moments where I feel like Veronica was trying to conform to some of the more salacious biographies that made a lot of money at the time. So there's weird passages where she'll start talking, frankly, about the sex she was having, which does not feel like she was particularly interested, but it was more like this is going to sell books. To read her words, it's deeply saddening more than anything, because she really had a hard time looking back at her career with a lot of positivity, which feels very complex for an actress that was so defined by her sexuality, by her hair, by being a woman. She was just burned out on herself and on all of the sexism and misogyny that she experienced. Like what you're hearing? Then consider becoming a Ticklish Biz Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Our Powell, Ava, Lombard, and Taylor level supporters this year made our six-week Being Elvis series possible, and we're preparing to launch six weeks of The Thin Man in December. We're also a quarter shy of hitting our goal of devoting an episode to the howler of a biopic, 1976's Gable and Lombard. Check out the Ticklish Biz community on Patreon at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Back to the show. Gloria Mann says that Veronica didn't leave Hollywood because she couldn't get work. It was just because she was tired and she was more interested in dealing with real people and real things, which I would love to think that's true. Again, we'll never know definitively where she stood with that. I read her book a lot and I just notice the anger and the frustration. To go back to what we were talking about in terms of balancing personal lives, it's one thing that I always notice. I am fortunate to at least know her daughter, her surviving daughter and her grandchildren, her daughter especially. There's no accusations that are on par with Joan Crawford as far as physical abuse. But there's a lot of emotional abandonment. There was a lot of emotional manipulation, failure to protect her kids, allegations against her husband, Andre de Toth. There's a lot there. And to read Veronica Lake in her book talk about regrets and how she only regrets how her one child was raised out of the three she had, that that is one thing that always is just this great unsolved mystery. Why did you single out one child out of all your children? We look at actresses like Barbara Stanwyck. Betty Hutton died very estranged from her children. Jean Tierney's child was raised with mental disabilities. A lot of these actresses who had children, there's a question of how much was the decision to become a mother a choice that they wanted? Versus a choice that was imposed on them by a studio system and a society that said, you can't just be a good actress. You have to be a good wife and a good mother. Nobody questions whether Joel McRae was a good father to his kids. You know, nobody's worried about if Joel McRae wants right. to get married and have kids. That was just like, oh, cool. He just has kids. But to be an actress in the 1940s and the 1950s, you had to be a mother. That was considered bizarre. Look at the actresses that did not have kids, and a lot of them have rumors of being lesbians. Did they not have kids because they were same-sex oriented? Well, no, maybe some of them just didn't want to have children. In Veronica's case, especially, and this is just my own personal opinion, I don't think she wanted to be a mom, and that was her prerogative. But I think that a lot of the frustration and the sadness that I read in her autobiography is... Anger at a society that told her, this is the type of person you have to be, which is really frustrating. But it also makes her an incredibly, incredibly modern woman. 
There's also so much they didn't know at that time, so much they didn't know about parenting, so much they didn't know about child development. I would even go as far as to say that the studio systems were fairly new at that point, and navigating something like being a movie star and a mom, now we have the solution of hiring a million nannies, but... Back and then. even then you're judged, even then you're judged on whether you spend enough time with your kids. Exactly. Even then you've got situations where by the time Veronica Lake started making movies, movies had only been around for like 30 years. Movie stars had only been around for 30 years. This is new territory for everybody, really. So you do hear a lot of stories about a lot of these old Hollywood actresses being bad mothers. Some of them definitely vary in degrees of severity. Some of the myths that I've heard about her, I just need to dispel. And one of the biggest ones, Samantha, can you guess which is the myth that I always hear about Veronica Lake that irks me to no end? Is it the one about her remains? That would be correct. Yes, it is about her remains. So it's really ironic because before I even became a Veronica Lake fan, I remember hearing this story. When it came out. And I don't know why it struck me, but I remember that I remembered hearing about it, which is fascinating that I would turn around and become a Veronica Lake fan. Early 2000s and supposedly this pawn shop in New York had an envelope of her remains that they were trying to sell. I did some research on the place. I tried to interview a couple years ago the owner of the pawn shop. They were willing to do it if I gave them an exorbitant financial reward, which I told them, no, I was not going to pay for an interview. I talked to Donald Bain, again, her late biographer, who said that he always assumed that they were fake because he was at her funeral, which he paid for. They cremated her and cast her ashes at sea. So according to him, there are no cremains to deal with. There's multiple stories about where these ashes ended up. The overall one is that they were scattered at some point. So in theory, they shouldn't exist. And supposedly what was found in this envelope was less than a teaspoon of remains. So why would you open a bag of cremains and then pour less than a teaspoon in an envelope? Doesn't make sense to me. And of course, we'll never know what they are. Donald Bain always thought they were probably an animal. I don't think they're her. I don't. It just adds to the quote-unquote allure that she was this tragic figure. Oh, she worked in a hotel and she bartended because she couldn't hack it in Hollywood and then her ashes end up in a pawn shop. Isn't that the real Hollywood story right there? That makes for good headline. It's not true. As far as my research goes, it is not true. I would like before somebody inevitably sends me a tweet saying her ashes ended up in a pawn shop, skip me with that. It is not true. Stop it. It's definitely sensational. And it also just frustrates me that back then, especially a lot of this stuff wasn't really kept very well recorded. You find situations like this and it's so frustrating. Hopefully nobody took a teaspoon of her ashes (laughs) out. I hope that's not the case. I don't want that to be the case. It's no different than when people reiterate the Lupe Velez died by drowning in her toilet. It's a story one person hears and then they transmorgify it into popular fiction. And that's where I essentially 
fall with this whole story about her cremains, which is always frustrating. And I wish I could announce that I was trying to change that, which I am, but I can't say too much because none of it's confirmed. So I'm just going to be really cryptic about it for the moment. To talk to people in the know, yes, they don't believe that her ashes were in this pawn shop. I'd like to think that that's the case. One of the other rumors that people always ask me about that I appreciate dispelling is the hair. That she was blind in one eye because of the hair swooping. Like that it gave her a lazy eye or something and that she had to cover it with the hair. She did not like to wear her hair down. She commonly wore it up because she didn't like having long hair draped in front of her face. So when the war started and she had to do those videos about ways to prevent your hair from getting caught in the factory machines, she was really happy about that because she could put her hair up. And if you look at those videos, she did not have a lazy eye. She was not blind in one eye. That's another rumor that I always find really funny when people pull it up. It's actually one of those things that I was a little bit surprised about going from hearing about Veronica Lake to watching her movies, because it really doesn't fully cover her eye most of the time like people say or people sketch or people think most of the time she definitely does have the break in her hair she has that wave but it's out of her face usually and sometimes she'll make a movement where it falls and covers it a little bit which she talks about she actually writes about the first time that it happened on set while making I wanted wings It was something that I was definitely surprised to see. I was like, oh, it's not as crazy mysterious as I thought it would be. (laughs) It's also another thing that kills me when people say, oh, she was the inspiration for Jessica Rabbit. And I say that's kind of true. Jessica Rabbit is an amalgamation of a lot of old Hollywood actresses. So Jessica Rabbit has the Veronica Lake air, but she's got the Lauren Bacall voice and she's got the Sophia Loren body or the Marilyn body. Veronica Lake did not look like Jessica Rabbit at all. And the Gilda outfit. When people say, oh, she was the inspiration for Jessica Rabbit, no. Jessica Rabbit is a Frankenstein of 1940s and 1950s actresses. I love her, but stop telling me that she's based on Veronica Lake. Of all the actresses that she's supposed to be based on, she does look the most like Veronica in the face. I gotta put that out there. And that's the first time that I would say that I heard about Veronica because I was a big fan of that movie as a kid. And I did want to know who she was based on, like anybody, man or woman. (laughs) Much like all of the other old Hollywood actresses that we know and love, Veronica Lake was also not immune from having terrible taste in men, which I have to throw out there. She was married multiple times. Not all of them are bad choices. I will stump husband number one, John Detley, who I'm fortunate to know his daughter, Holly. Shout out to Holly. That first marriage, it was a first marriage. They were young. There's a lot of speculation about why it ended. Veronica lost a child right around the time of their divorce, who ironically, much like his mother, has a mystery associated with where he is buried that I'm trying to prove slash disprove. But then she married Andre de Toth, who was, from what I've read, by all accounts, was horrible. Personally, people loved working with him. But personally, he was married multiple times, rumored to have sired 20 kids. Come on, guy. And then she married Joseph McCarthy's son, which there is not a whole lot of information about that marriage outside of her own thoughts. And then there was a sea captain 
Not the best choice of partners, V. It was funny because when we were talking to Alan K. Rohde about Elizabeth Scott, we keep bringing up the comparisons, but Andre Jato's name was brought in and I was like, huh, he really had a taste for petite, blonde, noir women. <laughs> Apparently had a taste for women because, again, he was married multiple times, had a lot of affairs, and again, allegedly sired 20 children, though I have not proven the 20 children. I maybe found six. Maybe if you're a DeToth fan, you can tell me if that number is true. I would love to know from somebody in the know. The uh, canon of the 1940s. <laughs> I was looking back at some of the research, because I've been researching Veronica Lake for a long, long time. Just the amount of different people that I've talked to that have stories about her or about her son, Michael, who unfortunately passed away relatively young of cancer. It definitely sounds like the whole family line was troubled. More than anything, it almost galvanizes my love for classic film and old Hollywood stars because since we don't know their every thought, unlike today where we have social media and 24-7 reportage on what these stars are doing, the fact that there's mystery about her to this day only keeps people more interested. And you can say that with really any star, whether it's Lisbeth Scott or... Rita Hayworth or Bill Holden, we're fascinated with them as people because so much of what they said publicly was controlled. If it wasn't filtered through a studio, you just didn't know it, which I think is what keeps us fascinated with the concept of this time period and these people to begin with. And I would say, too, that a lot of these films, I hate to go back to the availability. The thing about Veronica, like, she just left us wanting more. She definitely leaves me wanting more. I just want more of her movies. I want to see more pictures of her because she was so ridiculously photogenic. I want to know more about her life. You just want to know more. And the movies that they pass around today and the movies that they really herald today are fantastic. But it's not enough because a lot of the lesser known movies they show different sides of her acting, different sides of her personality. She got to explore different genres. And we're never going to really know. We're never going to really see that. And it's such a shame. If you listen to the interview we did with Wyatt McRae, and I asked him about Joel McRae and Veronica Lake, the response that a lot of people, and we've heard it when we've interviewed some of these people, is, well, I don't want to say anything bad because I know you're a fan. To me, that's always the worst thing because I have no illusions that Veronica Lake was a saint. Based on a lot of the research that I've done, she was not. She was very flawed. At the same time, that's why I'm very protective and I care about her so much. If you could see my room, I have a picture of her that sits near my bed that a lot of people will say, is that your grandmother? I'm like, I wish that was not my grandmother. I'm fortunate to own her George Harrell portrait. It hangs in my living room. I try to give her a home at least with somebody that understands that she was a mess, but she's my mess. That's what I tell people. You know, like Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford was an F-boy, but he's my F-boy. This is why we love classic film and we have our favorites. It's maybe even more so than modern film stars today. We're able to be like, you know what? They just sucked as people, but I'm okay with that. And I haven't really found hardly any old movie stars yet that didn't have their fair share of problems and didn't have their fair share of skeletons in their proverbial closets. 
we do this research, we devour their films. A lot of the time we'll fall in love with somebody on screen and then we find out after the fact that they're not that great of a person. You make that decision whether you want to stick it out with them or not is the best way to put it. And Veronica Lake is one of those people I just have to stick it out with. I have to watch her movies. I have to know more about her. The thing I want to end us on, it's her centennial this year. You'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of celebration for it. Thank you to the folks at Criterion for giving her a tribute to the New Beverly here in Los Angeles that is screening Hold That Blonde the week of her centennial. But other than that, I'm not pointing fingers, TCM, that some places are not celebrating her centennial, which could be an availability issue that we've already talked about. But I also think that it goes back to which stars are remembered. And which stars are really just fun discoveries that you run into as you're going on your classic film journey. And my hope is that if we're still talking about Veronica Lake in another hundred years, which I hope to God we are, I won't be here, but I hope to God somebody else takes up the mantle. I hope that we'll have some change in the availability of stuff. It's a good time now to really look at her through the lens of the post Me Too world and say if a lot of the assumptions that people have made about her being mentally ill, about her being difficult, if that adage that Friedrich March threw out about I married a witch, calling it I married a bitch, which by the way, screw you, Friedrich, I hate you. I would hope that in another hundred years that we are able to look at all of those things and maybe have a little bit more sympathy and understanding for her as a performer, as a person. That's my hope, at least. I was literally just about to echo that sentiment. I genuinely do believe that not only do we need an availability of films to discover all sides of her on screen, we need a lot more information and understanding about the person that she was off screen. Please, if you have thoughts on Veronica Lake, good or bad, we welcome them at any of our social media platforms. We're on Twitter and TikTok, Instagram. You can also email them to us at ticklishbiz at gmail.com. That's going to close out Ticklish Business for today. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews matter. So please leave us one on Apple Podcasts, five stars, especially if you love Veronica Lake. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at ticklish underscore biz, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at ticklishbiz. You can follow me on Twitter for as long as it remains a thing at journeys underscore film. I also have my substack, kristenlopez.substack.com, where I will be writing more about Veronica Lake. And you can find me on all social media platforms, including Letterboxd. Samantha, you can find her at Classic Film Geek on Twitter. And you can find my blog at musingsofaclassicfilmatic.com. Our Patreon helps keep the lights on at Ticklish Biz HQ and gives us a chance to do new content like our recent double-featured episode on Village of the Damned and talking about Netflix's Blonde and giving you guys some great special edition Makoko Cocoa Mugs that if you have not seen the artwork that Samantha designed on our Patreon, you are missing out on some holiday joy. So consider helping us at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. And again, my book, but have you read the book is out March 7th, but you can pre-order it wherever you buy books. We will return with a new episode on November 30th. Till then. <laughs>